0: mexico and the lord said from now on you will serve me because i've made you new i've made you whole i've restored you and i have a plan and purpose for you and he continues to turn graves into gardens in my life every day there are dead things and he brings life and he brings freedom and he brings joy he turns my mourning and my sorrow into dancing and he can do the same for you too Because he's a good and faithful God. Can I pray for you this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that if there are dead things in our life, and I know there are, I pray, Lord, that you would step into them and that you would begin to turn those graves in our lives into gardens, new life everywhere, Father God. I pray maybe for the first time somebody experiences you and knows that you are their Heavenly Father, their Savior, their friend. God, I pray this morning that somebody's sorrow would turn to dancing and joy. I pray that they would know you've been good and you've been faithful and you will continue to do that. We sing of your goodness today because you're a wonderful From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness
1: I got this picture today. In my mind's eye, as we were singing the song, There's Nothing Better Than You and the Goodness of God, I was thinking about the first people that the Lord called, the Jewish people who lived in the Promised Land. Once a year, they would take the first fruits of their flocks, or their herds, or their produce, or their grains, and they would take that to the temple of the Lord and they would sacrifice it unto him. I wonder if the fathers and mothers said to the children on those days, there's nothing better than the Lord. As they watched their potential livelihood go up in smoke, I wonder if they said to their sons and daughters, the Lord is so good, he is faithful, and he will take care of us, and he will take care of you. And from that time to this, the Lord has been faithful. The Lord has been good. The Lord has taken care of his people. And the Lord has met us exactly where we need him to be. We have a good God this morning. One whom there is nothing better. And one who has been incredibly good. So today, I hope you took your chance to affirm that today. That there's never been anything better that happened to you than Jesus. I hope you took your chance to affirm today that the Lord has been good. And maybe as you exit the sanctuary today and you give your offering unto the Lord, perhaps you could say to yourself, Lord, there's nothing better than you. There is nothing so good as you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to affirm all that you have been to us. We honor you and love you this morning. And we pray that that love would well up into overflowing in such a way as to let others know there is a good God who loves them and has a hope and a future for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen, God bless you. You may be seated. Well, this is normally the time that we dismiss the uh, young people, the uh, K through 6th graders. If you are one of those and somehow missed going down, you are welcome to go right at this time. Uh, It is fabulous Fifth Sunday, which means if you did drop off your kids uh, for first service, you can leave them here for second. And we planned it that way. Uh, Just come back at 1215 and pick them up and they have just a marvelous time. Uh, sharing and they have all types of Bible quizzes and things that they're doing today. They'll be eating a little bit later today and having a great time. As for us this morning, we are going to be finishing our series called New Life is Possible. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We have spent the last seven weeks in John 20 and 21 talking about all the interactions of Jesus after the resurrection. And we have had a good time going back in the Bible to see how everything that Jesus said and everything that he did had some precedent in what he had already taught and what he had already done. So we've been all over the book of John in these past seven weeks, and we're going to end today, we're going to end today on kind of a weird spot. The last interaction of Jesus is not what you might expect John to have recorded, but John wasn't papering over anything. He gives us a pretty crazy story to end this thing. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you today. I was sitting at my desk a little bit earlier today, and I saw on my desk these two volunteer agreements. If you serve here at the church, uh, you should have a volunteer agreement. That's, uh, it, it names what position that you're going to be in. It talks about our vision and mission as a church and how it feeds into that. Uh, it talks about your responsibilities, what you're going to be doing here at the church, and what you don't need to worry about, and what you should worry about. And people sign the back of these things, and, and then we know what we can ask of them, and they can agree to what uh, they have been felt like they're called to in the Lord. But there's an interesting part of this that I hadn't seen on volunteer agreements previously. We pulled this off a, a pretty good website for church research, and there's, a, there's a, a statement on there in those volunteer agreements that I thought was really interesting. It, it asked the question, who do you report to? That's the first question. And who do you relate to? Who do you report to and who do you relate to? And I hadn't seen that on any of our previous volunteer agreements. In essence, who ends up setting the course for what you do? Who do you report to? And then who do you, as a peer, relate to? Who, who are some other people in ministry that you partner with or work with in ministry to get The job done. And and so maybe if you're on the welcome team, you relate to the usher team. Or maybe if you're on the usher team, you relate to to the creative team or the worship team. And so all of this reporting and relating, and usually people report either to a pastor or their volunteer leader and so on and so forth. You're like, why are you telling me this? Well, summer break has begun. My kids got out of school exactly 43 and one half hours ago. And I'm thinking of having them sign one of these, (laughs) a volunteer agreement for home. And I want them to affirm who they report to and who they relate to. They relate to one another, but they report to me. The worst things in my family happens when they think it's the other way around, that the people who they relate to are ultimately the ones who they report to. That's when bad things happen. That's when people get injured, right? And, and, and sometimes they think that all of these relatable people are going to change the will of the one that they report to. And they shall not change that will. All right? I find, that, I find these volunteer agreements great because having pastored now for 17 years, and some of you could probably affirm this if you've been in churches long enough, problems happen in church when people get this mixed up too, don't, don't they? when people begin to take their cues from the folks they relate to, but they're not really taking their cues from the one that they've set themselves under the authority of that person. Well, the last story in John is really a story about reporting and relating. It's about who ultimately sets the course and who ultimately partners with you in that course. And interestingly enough, the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of John are a rebuke. Jesus rebukes Peter again. You're like, didn't he just get restored last week? Yes, he did. Peter just got restored last week, and we're going to end on a rebuke. Sometimes I wonder if John had it out for Peter. I really do. He mentions, you know, that Peter jumped out of the boat to no avail. He mentions that Peter denied the Lord. He mentions that he's a faster runner than Peter. And he ends his book on a rebuke of Peter, all right? But this rebuke is important. And my hope today, and you're not going to like this, is that the Lord rebukes some of you. Now, mention, I'm not saying I want to rebuke any of you, because I have no idea, and you're going to see, you're going to see when I say I have no idea, I have no idea what the Lord's called you to. But some of us, the Lord's going to speak to today. He's already spoken to me this week. In fact, he spoke to me this morning, and and, and I I felt his gentle tug in a different direction. I hope you feel that today, because the Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves, because he's ultimately moving us on to his agenda for our lives. So let's hop back into John 21 today and see about this rebuke. And in order to put it in its proper context, I want to back up about three or four verses into where we were last week. So we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to look at this commissioning of the apostle Peter, his calling from Jesus. And we're going to see the third time that Jesus asks him, do you love me? And then we're going to move through towards the end of the book here. Okay, we're going to start in 17. You ready? Here we go. He said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said this to him a third time, Do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this to him, Jesus said, Follow me. Peter then turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That's John. The one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper the night before he died and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw that man, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die, only that if he should remain until I come, what is that to you? And this is the disciple who was bearing witness to these things and who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. There's one more line in the Gospel of John. You can read it when you want to. But in essence, we learn the identity of the writer is the beloved disciple. And the church fathers tell us that this is an editorial note, that the, that the elders in Ephesus wanted us to know it's John who penned this, and so we're letting you know that here at the end of the book. John wrote this down, all right? So we've got this interesting thing happening right here at the end of the book. Peter's going to get commissioned, he's going to turn to look at John, and then he's going to get rebuked. Kind of odd. Now we talked about last week the, the idea that Peter had been reinstated. Remember, Peter had always kind of seen himself as the leader of the disciples. He'd always seen himself as the one who was out in front. He always saw himself as the, as the number one. So his fall, if you will, which is denying Christ three times and not being able to stand up for Jesus, was all the more poignant because the Gospels kind of imply, and Peter certainly asserted that he was the number one disciple. And, and he proved that he, he wasn't. But it's in the midst of this that Jesus begins to ask him, do you love me? He disabuses Peter of the notion that he is this supreme Christian. He allows Peter to feel the full weight of his denial. And in the midst of that, he still says, but Peter, I'm going to use you. Peter, you still have a call on your life. Peter, I have this great commission for you. And as we know, Peter becomes... Kind of what he desired to be, which was a great leader within the church, an incredibly important leader. Perhaps we can go so far as to say the initial chief shepherd after Christ, and you need him to be, and so do I. Because it's Peter who stands up on the first day of quote unquote Christianity and gives the first Christian sermon. A group of people in Jerusalem said, We believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. We believe that he's the Messiah. What do we do about it? And it's Peter who stands up and says, Well, you need to repent meaning turn towards him, renounce your sin, you need to be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will live a new lifestyle with with Christ's Spirit living in you. What do you think about that? It's Peter who describes, if you will, the first ordo salutis, the first order of salvation. We need Peter to be the leader. We need Peter to be the leader on another account. It's in Acts chapter 10, Where Peter has a vision that the Lord is no longer going to call things unclean. And immediately after, he goes and shares the gospel in the house of a Gentile, a non-Jew. And when he does, the Holy Spirit descends on that household. And Peter knows for certain that Gentiles can also be saved by this Jewish Messiah. Are there any Gentiles here today? You're like, I don't know, am I? Well, I I don't know. Ask your grandparents. Anyhow, you know. so, So that's important. That's important. It's Peter who sets the course and argues that Gentiles can be saved. We need Peter to feed and tend and feed the sheep. We need Peter to be the leader that Jesus called him to be. And Peter, we find out, is eventually going to do exactly what he thought he was going to do. He knew he loved Jesus supremely. He knew that he loved Jesus with all his heart, and he was even willing willing to die for Jesus. And we know that one day that he will. Jesus makes that clear. And Jesus says, follow me wherever it leads, Peter. Follow me. So we have this great reinstitution of Peter's leadership, but we also have Peter's commission. And in the midst of all of this, he turns and sees an eavesdropper, a snooper, someone who wants to know what Jesus is saying to Peter. I have a kid like this. Anytime Gina and I are having a conversation in one room, they're looking for a speck of dog hair in the very next room. Like, is there one in the carpet? Yes, there's one in the carpet. Bella sheds. Why are you in here? right? John was always trying to be in the know. He's the first one to race to the tomb. He says, I leaned back against Jesus at the last supper. I was like, who's going to betray you? Tell me. You don't need to tell them. Just tell me, right? And now Peter and Jesus have gone off to have this talk. And what's John doing? (laughs) Wanting to know what's going on. What's Jesus saying to Peter? Aren't you glad that he did? Because he's able to write a lot of things that we wouldn't know otherwise. So John was a holy eavesdropper, and much of his eavesdropping made it into Scripture, so next time you're uh, clicking in on someone else's call or listening from behind the wall, as long as you're doing it for Jesus, it's OK. <laughs> don't post that on social media. <laughs> I don't know what prompted this question, Peter, but it's interesting. Peter's in the midst of his commissioning, and he turns and he sees John and in essence says, "Well what about him? What's going to happen to him, Lord?" And this is where this rebuke comes. Jesus, got to be careful here. In fact, I prayed in the back room that I wouldn't misrepresent the Lord. I prayed to the Lord, don't let me misrepresent you. I almost sense a touch of sarcasm here. What's it to you if he remains alive until I come? But, but what he says is a rebuke. What's that to you? What's that to you? Now, if I said, what's that to you, would you take that as a rebuke? Pastor Matt, who's going to be preaching for you when you're on vacation this summer? What's that to you? Show up and listen, right? <laughs> You'd be pretty dick that I talked to you that way, right? You'd be like, he's rebuking me. This is a rebuke. What's that to you? And then he says emphatically, and once again, we see this in the Greek, you yourself follow me. Thank you to the ESV for giving us an exclamation point. They help us with that. You follow me. He's rebuking him. He's telling him off. Don't focus on John. Focus on what I just told you, Peter. Isn't this interesting? This is, these are the last words of Jesus in the gospel. That, that's why I love the gospel writers. They're so raw. They're, they just, they, they don't, don't paper over things. They don't try to make people look better than they do. But this is the last words of Jesus. You follow me. You yourself. Don't get caught up over there. You follow me. And I was thinking to myself this week, why such a stern rebuke? Peter's denied Jesus three times, and Jesus is super gentle with him. Are you catching this? This is, this is this, I mean, this one flows out of the other. Peter has denied even knowing Jesus three times, and Jesus, even though he allows him to feel the full weight of his sin, doesn't come at him like this, okay? Now he comes at him. What's that to you? You follow me. What, what's the threat? Because that's what it is. There is a threat here to Peter's calling, a threat here to Peter's commission. That's why Jesus is being so stern, but what's the threat? So I'm sitting in my office and I'm thinking, what's the threat? What's the problem? I I don't want want to get tunnel vision on this. So I did what I often do when I have a question of scripture. I went and asked other people. I left my office and I went to so-and-so's office, so-and-so's office, so-and-so's office. And then I I went to to our young adult lounge and there there sat one of our interns. And I said, what's the threat? What's the threat? And I wrote it down. I wrote it down. down. I wrote down what Taylor said. Taylor said, here's the threat. If you allow your journey with Christ to be informed by someone else's journey, you won't end up where he has you to go. In essence, you can't follow Jesus looking sideways. That's the threat. Peter was looking sideways. Was John a bad dude? No! John was a great dude. John ends up being one of the pillars of the church, says Paul. John ends up writing a huge portion of our New Testament. I have my daughter Natalie's Bible up here today. Isn't it cute? Zebra print. John ends up writing a huge portion of our New Testament. John ends up mentoring some of the greatest church fathers who go from the first century into the second century and help set the course for the church. John becomes a great bishop, if you will, a leader of multiple churches in the city of Ephesus. John's a good dude, and Jesus says, look at me, don't look at him. Isn't that interesting? Because you can't follow Jesus looking sideways. I'm not even saying that John was the true leader, and I'm not saying that Peter would have naturally followed him. In fact, I don't know that Peter's personality profile would have allowed him to make John his leader, but what's really going on here, the context of this story, is that Jesus declares twice. Remember I told you, always look for what's repeated. Peter, follow me. What's that to you? You follow me. That's what's repeated. That's the big deal. You don't follow John. You don't look to John. John is not to be in, in, your, in, your, in your windshield. He's to be. He can be in the side view mirror. That's fine. But, but, but he's not to be the one you follow. You follow me. I mentioned that Peter preached this sermon on what's called the Day of Pentecost, the first ever Christian sermon in in Jerusalem. Huge crowd is attracted when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. That's where he says, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. What if on that day, Peter looked sideways? Jesus had called Peter to tend the sheep, feed the sheep, tend the sheep. Jesus called Peter to do that. What if he'd looked at John and be like, hey, do you want to say something? John wasn't called to say something. Thomas? Matthew? You want to respond to this? Thad? Bart? Anybody? You can't follow Jesus looking sideways, but this is often what we do as human beings, isn't it? We have a calling. We have something that the Lord's placed into our life, but somehow we are spending more time paying attention to who we relate to than who we report to. We're looking at other people. We're looking at our friends. Jesus calls us to take part in a specific kind of ministry, and we're wondering, well, are our friends going to do that? Will they join us in this ministry? Jesus calls us to step out in faith and do something, and we wonder, well, you know, my spouse isn't there, so should I do that anyhow? And I don't mean that you're you're going against the will of your spouse. I just mean that they're not interested in partnering with you. And, And you're holding back because you're looking sideways instead of asking the question, What has Jesus called me to do? The problem for so many of us human beings is that we spend more time looking sideways in our faith than we do looking forward at Christ who we are to follow. He's called us to something. He's called us to something specific. And because we spend so much time looking sideways, we are engaged in paralysis by analysis. We're trying to orient ourselves within others in the faith, and sometimes we miss exactly what God's supposed to do. I, I think about what A.J. just shared. I had no idea he was going to share this today. But, but in essence, when A.J. was on that trip to, to, to Mexico, he wasn't going with his friends, and he really wasn't oriented in our youth group at the time. Our, our youth pastor at the time says, hey, do you, do you want to go on this missions trip and, and help us out with some of the kids? He says, oh, I suppose so. He, he had this moment where he wasn't going to get to spend time with all his 19-year-old friends. He was going to get to spend time with a bunch of 15-year-old idiots. All right? None of you are idiots who are 15 years old. Pastor Aaron, and I apologize. for No, but I'm just saying, that's how you feel when you're 19 years old, all right? I don't feel that way 19-year-olds do, right? But what happens if you recognize his voice in your name? You do exactly what God's called you to do. And there's, there, there's precedent for this. I want to show you, as I mentioned, another point in the scriptures where Jesus uses words like follow and sheep, and it takes place in John chapter 10. Jesus is calling himself the good shepherd and said you could just leave this point up on the screen because we're going to sit down in this for just a minute. I mentioned that every time Jesus says something almost every time in 20 and 21 we can go back in the book of John and see the context for this. Look at the context from John chapter 10 verse 2 through 4. Jesus talking about himself says but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, he goes before them, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, for they know his voice. Pastor Matt, repetition for emphasis. The Bible says that Jesus has called his sheep by name. That he knows each and every one of us by name. That that he, he knows who we are, what he's called us to, what we are to be doing in this life. He knows you. The psalmist says he knows every hair on your head. And I think he knows a lot less than he used to know for me. But long story short, he knows you he has called you out by name, and he has looked to you, the one he called by name, and said, follow me. You have a commission as Peter had a commission. You have a calling as Peter has a, call, has a calling. And I'm just wondering if any of us today might be looking sideways instead of looking forward. We're not doing anything for the Lord because we're waiting for our good friends or we're waiting for our spouse, or we're waiting for our our mama. No Jew mama jokes today, but our mama, who's real strong in the faith, we are waiting for someone else to lead us, but God has already called us. God's already made it abundantly clear what we are to be doing, and we're missing it because we're too busy orienting ourselves sideways. See, if we don't want to do that, it says that we must recognize the voice of the shepherd. That's how we follow him. We might have our head down in the grass and we might be looking for that good forage, but we know where the shepherd is because we recognize his voice and therefore we follow it. What this implies is that you can hear the voice of the Lord and he can direct you by name. That's what it implies. That's what Jesus is after, to direct you by name that you would know his voice. We talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, and I have made the statement over and over and over again to you that based on the authority of Scripture, every Christian should be able to hear from, speak from, and act from the voice of the Lord. Every single one. And here's that being backed up in John right here. Peter, don't look at John John's got a plan for his life. It's a good plan. It's a wonderful plan. But if you look that way, you're going to get off the path that I have for you. The truth is, John ended up in Ephesus. That's where he landed. He trained wonderful people of faith. He wrote big portions of our New Testament. And he had a huge effect on the early church. Ephesus became an epicenter of Christianity but Peter ended up in Rome. Just as Jesus ended up going to the most dangerous place for him, which was Jerusalem, Peter ended up going to the most dangerous place for him, which was Rome. And Peter went, and, and the Bible says, glorified God by what he did there, by putting himself in harm's way. John didn't have to die for Jesus, it wasn't part of the plan. Peter did. Peter did. They both followed the voice of Jesus to the place that they were supposed to go, and eventually their paths separated, and they needed to know that their path was to separate. And they both became pillars of the church, but in vastly different ways. And I'm not trying to tell you that that you need to separate from your children or your spouse or even your friends. That would be a, a, a terrible rendering of what I'm trying to explain to you today. I'm trying to explain to you today, what I'm trying to, to, to help us with and, 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 and recognize the full reason for Jesus' stern rebuke of Peter is how easy it is to get off track when we relate to the person next to us rather than the Lord who's in front of us. That's all I'm trying to relate. It requires a rugged, rugged following of Jesus I'm not arguing for individualism because we are a community. We are the body of Christ. We are people who are supposed to relate to one another. We are iron sharpening iron. We do need one another, but Jill's call is different than my call and Joshua's call is different than my call and Jacob's call is different than my call. We should all know it and we should all be walking in it and we should keep our eyes off everybody else's call because then we start to move off of the path that God has for us. But I want to be on their path. Their path is glamorous. There ain't no paths in Jesus that are glamorous, folks. If there is somebody on a glamorous path, watch for a spectacular fall. All right? There is no glamorous path in Christ. Aren't we told that, that everybody who follows Christ with their full heart will suffer on some level? There, if, if you think there's a glamorous position... We need, we need to talk about that. not meant to be that way. Peter didn't have a glamour position, did he? He really didn't. No, we can't look at the path of others and say, but I wish I had that effect. Or, or, or it, it's, not that, it's not that I'm scared, it's just that if they would just come with me, then I would do it. Follow me. Because whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If you serve Jesus, you're not spending all your time cozying up to the calling of another person. You're following Jesus so closely that you are doing the thing that he's called you to do without Question: If you serve me, you'll follow me, and if you follow me, you need to be right on top of me, and then you'll know what to do with your life. So let me ask you, are you a sheep that's on top of the master? Are you following so close to Jesus today that your head would butt into his kneecaps if he stopped for a moment? Or are you waiting for somebody else to affirm your calling, or are you waiting for somebody else to, to come alongside of you or are, are you paralyzed and not doing any of what the Lord's called you to do because the people that you relate to have become the people you report to? It's possible. Jesus stamps this out hard with Peter that day. He rebukes him hard. Peter, you can't ever look to John again. You've got to follow me. You can look to John for support. You can look to John for love. John might even rebuke you for something stupid you say, and that's all fine. But when it comes to the calling that's in front of you, that's the context of this story. Peter's calling. When it comes to your calling, don't look to John, look to me. Don't look to John, look to me. You and I have a calling You and I have something that the Lord has put us on this planet to do. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. That's who you are. And if we wait and we wait and we wait for someone to yoke up with us, sometimes we'll never follow Jesus to the place where we're supposed to go. The Bible teaches that individuals must follow the voice of Jesus. I say that in the authority of John chapter 10 and John chapter 12 that we just read. We must listen for his voice and follow his directives. That's what's incumbent upon each and every one of us. You're not to be on my path. I'm not to be on yours. I'm to encourage you on your path, and you're to encourage me on mine. Don't mix who you report to and who you relate to because you could miss what God has for you to do. I was thinking about this this week. Thank you so much for those of you who participated in our missions auction and luncheon. We raised for that team to go down and help that church planning organization over $6,000 in a couple of hours. It's awesome, it's amazing. And this isn't a prophetic word. I'm not going to say what I'm about to say to try to sound super spiritual or something. I just, with, with, a, with a crowd this size and a crowd of similar size in second service, it's quite possible that someone else was supposed or is supposed to join that team. And they felt that call. And then they looked down the pew and decided against it. It's even quite possible that someone said, "Would you want to go?" And they said, "No, not me." And they said, "Well, I must not either." Now that it's not a prophetic word, and somebody's like, "I feel so convicted right now. I'm <laughs> getting on the plane immediately." But it's, it's quite possible because we're human. And that's what happens to some of us, right? Now I'm not trying to get anybody else on that missions team, that's not my goal. I don't even know if they have spots. I'm just saying, that's the way the enemy works sometimes, isn't it? He says, just, just look that way and ignore the voice that's that way. And I feel like there might be some of us who are failing today to do all that Jesus has called us to do because we're not following closely to the voice we heard or we're not listening for that voice at all today. You see, if Moses had listened to the people, they would have gone back to slavery in Egypt. And even more poignant, if Jesus had listened to his friend Peter, he would have never gone to the cross. You have to know what God's called you to, and you've got to go after it with all your heart. Follow close to the shepherd. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, I know that you've called certain people to certain things in this room, and Lord, we can sometimes move off target so easily. There's also other factors, Lord, we haven't even talked about today. There's fear, trepidation, lack of faith. But Lord, there's one thing that gets us over fear, trepidation, lack of faith, or even a sideways glance, and it's the voice of the shepherd. When we know we've heard from you. We know we've heard from you. That voice is our life. It's our peace. It's our hope. It's our direction. We have commitment time, not because it's obligatory. We pray at the end of services so that each one of us can listen for that voice and say, Lord, are you speaking to me? I want to follow closely to you. So, for just a moment today, I'd like us to have a time of reflection and ask the Lord a simple question Lord, is there any way in which you have called me that I have been ignoring, perhaps because of some sideways glances? Real specific to today's passage, I have been too concerned about my friends or my parents, my children. My spouse, and nobody's going to stop me. They'd be all on board. I just need to do what you've called me to do. Just ask him that today. Am I ignoring your voice? Father, you are faithful to speak Lord Jesus you only speak what you've heard the Father speak Holy Spirit you only speak that which Jesus has spoken that's how you describe it this powerful book of John Lord speak to your people today Remind them that your voice is what they're after. More important than the voice on the radio, the voice in the Christian book, even the voice of the pastor is the voice of the Holy Spirit of Christ calling us forward on the path that he's chosen for us. Saying you, you yourself, follow me. Thank you for calling us by name. And Lord, allow me to pray an audacious prayer today. I pray that just in this group of gathered Christians, the ten today would embrace a call that they've been ignoring and say, yes, Lord, I will follow. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Could you stand today? Or if you're able, you can leave. We will be starting a mini-series next week. If you ask me what on your way out today, I'll say, what's that to you? But we'll look forward to getting ready for all God has for us this summer. We've got a lot of wonderful things planned. I hope you enjoy this Memorial Day weekend and celebrate with those that you enjoy celebrating with. And uh, have a great time honoring those who have given their lives for our freedom. God bless.